immigration law issues that crop up in international surrogacy. And our guest is Karma Hickman, who's an expert on this uh, quite niche area of practice and an associate solicitor at the firm Bishop and Sewell. Hi, Karma. Hi, CJ. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. So with your help, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of this this topic uh, shortly. And we're going to talk about some couples that you've advised in the past, anonymized and facts changed and all. But let's let's start with the basics for people who don't know. So what is surrogacy to begin with? Well, um, in its most basic form, surrogacy is when um, a woman carries a baby for someone else who can't conceive or, or carry their own child. Historically, there's something called traditional surrogacy where the surrogate mother used her own eggs, but I have never come across that in practice and I would be surprised if if, uh, if if that was still around today. So the more common form is gestational surrogacy where the surrogate mother has no um, biological connection to the child. Uh, so the child's created either with a donor egg or with um, the egg of the intended mother. And then you can either use the sperm of the intended father or donor sperm, or both. Just one point on that, under UK law, you wouldn't usually have donor egg and donor sperm because that could create problems down the line in terms of being recognised as the child's legal parents. Uh, but yeah, in a nutshell, it's where a, a woman carries a child for someone else. Okay, and we're talking about international surrogacy, so that there's a cross-border element to that, presumably? Uh, international surrogacy is where um, the intended parents find a surrogate mother who's based overseas and the child's born outside the UK. So we're talking about British or British-based couples going abroad. And, and why would they do that? I think it's largely because of the UK's got quite strict laws on surrogacy. So um, it's taken quite a some would say ethical, some would say moralistic, whatever it is, it's got this approach on surrogacy whereby commercial surrogacy is outlawed in the UK and we're only allowed altruistic surrogacy. And and by commercial surrogacy, you mean the couple would pay the woman to carry the baby? Yes. Yes, thank you. Yes, absolutely. So in the UK, you're only allowed to pay the surrogate mother reasonable expenses. Um, Overseas, there are no such restrictions. So the pool of surrogate mothers in the UK is much, much smaller than it is elsewhere. So British-based couples often look overseas because there's a much bigger range of uh, surrogate mothers willing to get involved in the process. And the fact that that happens creates immigration law complications, which is where you as a solicitor come in. And what, what, broadly speaking, are the issues that, that arise when there's international surrogacy takes place? The main thing, and it's something that before people get involved in it, they often don't think about, is the child, well, obviously the child needs to come back to the UK, but what does the child need? The child needs a passport. Um, and this is where you can run into problem. Um British intended parents often assume that the child is British at birth because they're British, but there's actually a whole set of special rules that apply to children who are born through surrogacy. And as a result of these rules, it may mean British intended parents can't pass on their citizenship, which in turn means the child might not be eligible for a UK passport. So if the child's not British, then that means hopefully it's a foreign national. Um, the other option is it might even be stateless. But if the child's a foreign national, it means it's like any other person wanting to come to the UK. It's subject to the UK's immigration laws and it has no automatic right to enter the UK or live in the UK, regardless of um, the intended parent's citizenship or the fact they live in the UK themselves. Okay, so then you're 
first port of call if you're advising a couple uh, in this situation is to work out if the child is British from birth. In, yes. Yeah, in which case they just get a passport and there's no problem. <laughs> well, in theory, yes. I mean, just get a passport. There's... Um, Yes, the child will be entitled to a passport. If the child's British at birth, it will be entitled to a British passport. But just get a passport is comes with its whole set of own complications. Um, there are special evidential requirements for obtaining um, a, a British passport for a child born through surrogacy. And Her Majesty's Passport Office expects lots of additional evidence that you don't normally have to supply in um, for children born overseas. Some countries have special processes. So although you're applying for a British passport, applying in some countries such as Ukraine, you have to go through visa application centres. They've got all their own rules. So when we say just apply for a passport, yes, technically correct. The reality is it can take up to even 16 weeks and that's even with the right evidence. So it's not straightforward, but it is more straightforward than other options that uh, parents might be looking at. That's correct. Okay. So if you're going about establishing whether the child has British citizenship from birth and is therefore entitled to a passport, e even with the complications that entails, uh, what's your starting point? How are you going about that? Under UK law, intended parents have to go through a process in the family courts to obtain a document called a parental order. Uh, and that gives them, that recognises their legal status. They become the child's legal parents under UK law. The problem here is that the um, parental order process can take a year, sometimes longer. Until that's in place, they will not be recognised as the child's legal parents. So, what you have to look at is going back to what the the starting position is. So when the child is born, who are the child's legal parents? Um, and for that, we turn to section 50, subsection 9 of the British Nationality Act, which sets out interpretations. This says that a child's mother is the woman who gives birth. So the child's mother at birth will always be the surrogate mother, irrespective of the genetic connection. Okay, so the in intended mother is sort of out of the picture in terms of passing on her British citizenship. Exactly. She's irrelevant. I'm sure she doesn't feel irrelevant, but from UK nationality law says she is at this stage. Then we turn to who the father is. Um, if the surrogate is married, then the surrogate mother's spouse will be the father or second legal parent if she's married to um, a woman. If the surrogate mother is not married and the intended father is the biological father, then the intended father can be recognised as a child's father. Um, you would need a DNA test to prove it, but the important thing is the genetic connection. Okay, so if the intended father, uh, in, in assuming a genetic link, is British, then he can pass on his citizenship. But what then if the intended father is not British? So if the attended father isn't British, then uh, things get a bit more complicated. So I'm going to talk you through a scenario. Obviously, names and details have been slightly changed, but this is a scen scenarios I have, wor I have worked with. So the scenario I'm going to outline is where um, we've got um, a married couple um, who are both Nigerian at birth. Uh, we'll call them Mary and Jonathan. So Mary and Jonathan, both born in Nigeria, moved to the UK um, and then got their indefinite leave. Uh, Mary subsequently naturalised, but Jonathan did not naturalise. So Jonathan's still Nigerian, Mary's a dual national. Um, their son 
William was born in Nigeria uh, using an unmarried surrogate mother, who we'll call Amina, who is Nigerian. William was created using Jonathan's sperm and a donor egg. Now, Jonathan and Amina are both named on the birth certificate. So here we've got the scenario, the question you asked, where um, Jonathan in this case is not British. And so even though Amina's unmarried, she, um, uh, Jonathan can't pass on his citizenship because he's he isn't hasn't got any British citizenship to pass on. So um, in that scenario, Amina and Jonathan will both be uh, William's legal parents at birth and William is not British at birth. Okay, so so Mary, the mother, her British citizenship is irrelevant, as we said. Yes. Jo- Jonathan's not British, uh, so he's no good. Um, so so what's baby William? He, he was Nigerian? It seems likely. Um, and in fact, in this situation, he, he was, as it happens, um, because Amina's uh, Nigerian, well, basically everyone's Nigerian and the baby was born in Nigeria. So intended mother, intended father and surrogate mother are all Nigerian and William was born in Nigeria. Obviously, that's not advice that in the normal run of things, um, a British immigration solicitor would be given. So this is something that intended parents always have to find out what the position will be. Will their child be entitled to the nationality of the country in which they were born? But in this particular case, yes, William was Nigerian at birth. Okay, so William uh, doesn't have a British passport. He's just like any other immigrant in the eyes of the Home Office. Um, what, what, what were the options then for this couple? Okay, so the first option, let's bring poor old Mary back into the picture. Um, We said that she's completely irrelevant um, and she is in terms of automatic citizenship. So section 2.1, it's no go. Um, However, the Home Office has published, well, it's it's actually in the normal Home Office guidance now, registration, how to register a child um, as British, but they've got a special section in there on surrogacy. It's quite short. It's only about three pages long and it sets out three scenarios in which they will usually always register a child as British where that child's been born through surrogacy. The statutory basis for that registration is Section 3.1 of the British Nationality Act. So there's three scenarios um, and this guidance sets out the kind of evidence they would like to see. One of those scenarios, which is applicable to our situation, um, is where uh, the British intended mother could herself have passed on citizenship if not for the fact she's not recognised as the mother under the British Nationality Act. So... Um, what we have to think about is, well, obviously Mary's not defined as the the mother. So could Mary have passed on her citizenship otherwise if she were the mother? And the answer to that is yes. We've got Section 2.1 of the British Nationality Act that allows citizenship to be passed on where the uh, British parent is British otherwise than by descent, which Mary is because she was uh, registered. Naturalised, yes. Uh, sorry, naturalised as British, Yes. The, the British parent also has to be recognised as the legal parent in the child's place of birth, which means you either need a court order or you need a birth certificate. In this particular case, Mary wasn't named on the birth certificate, but she was able to apply for a court order that literally all it said was this woman is recognised as the child's legal mother in Nigeria. That's all that was needed. So that's one route. Um, If that didn't work and baby William stayed Nigerian, what then would they have been able to do? 
well, let's say, I mean, I would have expected it to work, but let's say she couldn't have got the court order. Then what we could have done instead, um, um, baby William has the Nigerian passport, so can instead apply for entry clearance. Now, because Jonathan is recognised as uh, William's father, it's simply going to be a straightforward uh uh, application for indefinite leave to enter under paragraph 297 of the immigration rules. Um, it's either subparagraph E, where the sponsoring parent has had sole responsibility, or subparagraph F, where there's a parent in the UK, serious and compelling family reasons that would make excluding the child undesirable. Um, and then all other requirements are just as any other entry clearance application, similar times and so on. If the intended father um, is British, he has a British passport, does that mean that the child is, is definitely British then? Assuming assuming an unmarried surrogate, um, is it, it, does the father being British solve our problems? Usually, but not always. Um, although the intended father will be recognised as the father in the situation you've just outlined, uh, he may not be able to pass on his own citizenship under normal nationality law. So go back to your, your basic starting point of normal nationality law um, and um, where a British parent is themselves born abroad to a British parent, uh, automatic citizenship at birth can only pass down through one generation under Section 2.1. So let's take an example uh, where we've got... Um, an intended father who was born outside the UK and is himself British by descent. So we'll go with um, the scenario I've put in the article is Ash and Rhea. Uh, both lived in London for a long time. Rhea was born in the UK. Ash was born in India to a British father. So he was he was himself British at birth under Section 2.1. Their daughter, um, Anika, was born in Ukraine to a unmarried surrogate mother, Katerina. Ash and Rhea are Anika's biological parents named on the birth certificate. So Anika's parents under UK nationality law are Katerina and Ash. Katerina is Ukrainian. She's no good. Um, and Ash is British, but by descent only. So he can't pass on his citizenship automatically to Anika, which means Anika's not British at birth. It depends on how the father has acquired his own British nationality. Yes, Okay, and and so this um, couple again, you've you've changed the details, so they're yeah. not quite a real couple. But uh, are, are they then in the same situation in terms of their options of um, bringing the baby Annika home as the last couple you talked about? I'd say they're in a similar situation, but it's certainly not identical. The first thing to note is that um, Annika would almost certainly not be entitled to Ukrainian passport. Uh, because Ukrainian law doesn't recognise uh, the sorry Ukrainian nationality law requires the um, recognises the intended parents as the parents and not the surrogate mother. So children born in Ukraine are not Ukrainian just because they've been born there. So that means no Ukrainian passports. That means no entry clearance option. They could, in theory, go down the same registration option whereby, uh, in this case, Anika would be able to be registered on the basis of um, RIA citizenship. But they also have another option, which is, again, back to standard nationality law, which is um, Section 3.2 of the British Nationality Act, where a parent is British by descent. 
So you would really just take it as a normal uh, uh, Section 3.2 case. The parent would have, in this case, Ash would have had to resided in the UK for at least three years before Anika was born. Um, Ash's own father would need to have been British otherwise than by descent. And Ash should have spent no more than 270 days outside the UK during that period. Having said all that, the reality is in these situations, and I've had this situation crop up a few times now, is that it's it's the same application form. It's an MN1, regardless of whether you're doing a Section 3.1 or a Section 3.2. So what I've done in these cases is argue both in the alternative. But Section 3.2 is registration by entitlement as opposed to registration by discretion. So you should really always be arguing that point um, because registration by entitlement is stronger than by discretion. Um, so, sorry, there is one other tiny option, which is Section 3.2 also allows for registration where a child is stateless. And in this scenario, Annika would probably be stateless. So we could also argue that as another option, but that would require um, additional evidence. Okay, so lots of combinations uh, of registration for the child that might be possible depending on the exact facts. And if, if not, uh, you fall back on, on entry clearance. Let, let me just ask you before we finish up about a possible third variation. Um, you mentioned that things can be even more complicated if the surrogate mother is married. Has that ever has that ever come up? Well, it used to come up a lot more uh, when India was a popular surrogacy destination. Now most agencies are pretty alive to this and are careful um, to use unmarried or divorced surrogate mothers. But it does still come up in private arrangements. Um, so there is a um, scenario similar facts that came up recently for me um, with uh, Federico and Christoph. Federico was born in Italy, naturalised as British. Christoph, Swedish, um, but didn't yet have settled status. He had pre-settled status. They uh, had a private surrogacy arrangement with very close friends. Um, it was an, a married couple. So the surrogate mother was American. Um, and as it happens in this case, she was married to uh, Christoph's best friend. So the, there were twin daughters born and Christoph in this case was the genetic father um, and Federico and Christoph, because this was in the States, had a pre-birth order and were both recognised as the legal parents at birth in the States and were named on the birth certificate. So in this scenario, we've got the surrogate mother who was American, she's the child's legal mother and her husband was, Sven, was the father and, and he was Swedish. So we've got American surrogate um, and Swedish surrogate mother's spouse. So neither parent was British and uh, the surrogate was married to someone else. So even though they were, as you say, recognised in the States and were named on the birth certificate, that didn't matter for nationality law purposes. They weren't the parents in that context. That's correct. The parents were Jacqueline and Sven, despite the birth certificate, despite the pre-birth order. Okay, so what could we do or what could you do for them? Again, were you looking through your different registration options for... Um... Yes, it's registration. Um, but in this scenario, Federico was the uh, only British partner and he's not the biological father. Um, but that is covered in the guidance where the man's not the biological father and can't meet the definition of father, which he couldn't because the mother, Jacqueline, was married to Sven. So what that situation requires is that the British father, i.e. Federico, 
could have passed on citizenship if he met the definition of father, which we know he could have under Section 2.1. And the fact that there's no biological tie is irrelevant, um, even in, in normal citizenship law. Um, and the second requirement is, again, that the intended father has to be recognised as the legal parent in the children's place of birth, which he was because we had the birth certificate and uh, also the pre-birth order. But that, that's a bit trickier. OK, so we, we again have these options. But you said right at the outset that it can be quite slow to uh, have the child registered and then get the passport and people might be might be stuck abroad for a long time while that happens. Is, is there is it sort of quicker to just bring the child in as, as an immigrant, as it were, and then sort things out back in the UK? Um, well, in this particular case, yes, because of the facts of this case. Children who are born in the USA are American at birth. Uh, it's one of the few countries in the world that still has this. So Anna and Elsa could have got American passports. And because the US is a non-visa national country, in theory, um, uh, they can just show up at the border and get six months entry under visitor rules. I mean, technically, they're not entering as a visitor. And it's completely at an immigration officer's discretion. So there is always the risk that the child could be turned away. Um, I haven't yet seen it happen but it could in theory happen. But yes, so they could just get the American passport, which is much faster, and then just come in at the border as a non-visa national. Really interesting stuff, Karma. But it, like, it, it sounds like such a minefield for couples or, or individuals who are going through international surrogacy process. I mean, there's so much to think about finding a surrogate and, and making your arrangements. But then you might end up stranded abroad, it sounds like, for, for quite a length of time if you haven't really planned out the immigration issues in advance? Um, I mean, it is a minefield. And I think it's fair to say that if you haven't planned the immigration issues in advance, you, there's a very good chance you would end up stranded abroad for a period of time. That said, um, I've yet to come across a case that I haven't managed to get the intended parents back. There's always, in my experience to date, there's always been some way to get them back. And I think in the worst case I've ever had um, was a married surrogate mother who then couldn't be traced and neither intended parent was British or settled. We did still manage to get the children back, although that, that was a nightmare and it did take a couple of years. Most people will not be in that situation and there is usually a resolution, but planning, you know, planning and understanding of the law is everything which of course I would say as a lawyer, but it's true in this case, yes. And in many cases, that, that's a good note to end on. Uh, Karma, thank you very much. That was Karma Hickman, an immigration lawyer at Bishop and Sewell. This podcast was brought to you by Free Movements, which is a website publishing updates, commentary, training and advice on immigration and asylum law. Uh, the editor is Colin Yeo, I'm CJ McKitty, and you can visit us and read Karma's article and many other articles of interest uh, at www.freemovement.org.